All right, everybody. So welcome to the podcast. I have Jeremy Odom back on the podcast with us. So Jeremy Odom, welcome back. Thank you for having me back, Bobby. Jeremy, so it's been some time since you last came on the podcast. Um, since you were last here, you relocated. You've had a promotion. Um, you've been working through real estate. Um, talk to us, man. Tell us what's new. Tell us what you got going on with your life. Oh, man. Uh, great business opportunities and management opportunities. I've been fortunate enough to come up here to Little Rock Lock-In Operations. Mm. Not only be able to get a promotion into operations, but uh, the real estate market up here is pretty hot. And a lot of great opportunities. With, uh, with the new promotion at the job, man, what, what are you in charge of? What do you got going on? What's that situation been like for you? And it's been a, it's kind of a coming to home situation, uh, being able to step in and run with the team and take over the front half days inbound operation from everything from receiving to stowing has been has been nice. And uh, during that operation, um, how how much work are you guys doing? How many units a day? How many shipments a day? What do you actually have going on? What are you controlling? How much manpower are you working with? Oh man, right now with us being in a new launch and going into the first peak, still operating at a 60% occupation of the building with our restrictions on the mechanisms mm. in place, uh, we're still running anywhere between a 220, 250 manpower between stores and inbound and uh, pushing up to about 250 uh, a period. So you're, you're working a active construction zone. What, what has that been like running an operation through an active construction zone? Oh, it's uh, definitely interesting, uh, needless to say, with uh, being able to keep the workplace safe and keep the environment safe. You have to not only educate your team, educate your management force. you got to work through everybody at every every moment. you got to literally have eyes all over the operation. First and foremost, you want a safe work environment. You want to make mm-hmm. sure your team and everybody's educated in the proper protocols. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a little added stress, but it's the good stress because then once you know the plan, know the plan, you're good to go. Well, what have, what have been your biggest challenges working in a brand new building? Because this new building that you're working at, it's a state-of-the-art facility. It has robotics all over the place. It has conveyance all over the place. What are your biggest challenges working in a brand new high-tech facility like that? Man, the, the sheer volume that we're going to be able to produce here coming up shortly, we haven't even meet, met our max potential. Um, the conveyance is going to be the biggest call-out. You know, this is my fourth launch in a fourth mm-hmm. building. And it's always the same thing. It's always going to be conveyance because it's a new building, new construction, and you gotta you gotta max it and break it for them to know where the pressure points are and how to relieve it and what motor replacements and what speeds to put everything at. But just in the three months since we've launched with the motor replacement, a couple of speed adjustments here and there, we've been able to pretty much uh, get it flowing. Let me ask you something. So, conveyance is a continuous issue. In Amazon buildings, as I'm sure plenty of other facilities, companies throughout the country, why is conveyance not more simple? Why is it not more easy to use? Well, as you've seen through this launch and uh, any previous launch, every year we launch a new gen. So the new buildings come out with the newest technology. So it hasn't been tried to tested. And it typically takes you about a good year to year and a half of running it to find out the flaws. And then once you master the flaws, the next year runs of launches and buildings come out with their new conveyance. They take little pieces of the stuff that works and adds it to the new buildings. And then until everything is copacetic, you don't know the true outcome. I mean, look at Jax 2. When we were launching Jax 2, it took us almost two years before we got all the motors and gears and ratios and 
the conveyance up there with decamp to where we actually did a second launch of decamp. Right, right. Now, if you were in charge of conveyance, what would be one change you would make to it? Oh, I'd post up a full time. Uh, we have contractors and controllers that come in all the time, and they're spending a couple hours, a couple days uh, going into a new launch. I would recommend that we'd have you know controllers on site twenty four seven, as well as the army techs to be able to fix and actually have everything tested prior to a launch not open the doors and jump right into it because as we learned with this one as many contractors as we've had in this building and as many components and parts that were built in this building on the go while we were operating we were running stuff prior to the other half the conveyance running so you didn't get a true read of what needed to be fixed until we unlocked the other half of the operation no jeremy compared to your peers you're running one of the better shifts, one of the better operations. What type of management techniques do you use with your managers and your assistant managers to ensure that you run a successful operation? Pretty much what I do is I set achievable goals. Coming from one of the flagship operations of the 72 AR sortables we have in our company, Mm. uh, knowing the plan, knowing the plan, setting achievable goals, being able to provide the positive and negative feedback in a learning manner to where everybody's new to this operation. This is not a 100% all the veterans come to these buildings. You usually have a 70-30 blend, 70% being new to Amazon 30 that are veterans. But then you out of those 30% that are coming from other Amazons, you know they come from non-sorts, ACLs, Amazon Airs. They're not used to the AR robotic side of the operation. So what I've been able to do is take the knowledge base from the four other ARs because I've kept my career in the AR side of things to where I know what we've done that works. I know what does not work. I know where we can throttle up or throttle down, where other chefs were struggling to get volume pushed through or having hindrance with conveyance. There's always workarounds, and you got to be able to know that you might come up with the best plan, but your plan is going to deviate and change every 15 minutes, every hour, every three hours. So as long as you're adaptable and you can overcome circumstances that you can't control, and come out with the feedback and knowledge that you can express to your team and show them the ways, then they can then spread that down to the PAs and the PGs and keep a steady, continuous workforce going. What specifically excites you most about working in the AR rather than some of the other building types? Oh, man. Um, what I like is what everybody fears. Um, <laughs> I, I, like, I fa- like that. I, yeah. I, I, like, I like the knowing the intensity. that... The intensity is up. Yeah. Every day is different. You never have two days the same. Um, you are truly surprised and shocked how slow time goes when you actually run a smooth operation and you don't have hiccups. So being able to be in an operation that's going to continuously have problems or need headcount or need labor pool or need conveyance adjustments, being able to be able to adapt, being able to overcome those is what drives me. I like the challenge of the day-to-day. I like being able to expand on my plan and then knowing that at the end of the day, I'm still going to achieve my goal. It may not be the original plan I laid out at four o'clock in the morning or the previous day, but at the end of the day, I hit the plan, I exceed the plan, and then I have the tools that I can put in place for the next shift saying, hey, this is what we saw. This is what we did. Try this on your shift. Let me know how it goes because every shift is different. Give me your best piece of advice for a fellow ops manager or for a senior manager. The best piece of advice I would say is uh, know your team, train your team, and trust your team. Mm. Your team will make or break you. And if you get the buy-in, the knowledge, close, 
on your team and they know that you're there for them. It's not a sink or swim situation coming as a come up, as, as, as you're fully aware of, Bobby. Um, you've had full trust and faith in me. You know, wherever you're going oh, to yeah. place me, I'm going to operate. Oh, yeah. And knowing the ins and outs of both inbound and outbound has been, I got the door. Has been able to uh, been able to make my career successful and work with the teams and get everything set up. Oh, yeah. So, with that being said, um, we got uh, Anita Walker just walking in. So, Anita, welcome. Good to have you on with us as well, too. Um, so, great points of view right there, Jeremy. And transitioning, shifting gears, talk to me Talk to me about real estate, man. Talk to me about what you're doing out here in Little Rock, what you've been looking at, and other things that you've got going on within the real estate market. Well, since I've been out here, the market has jumped up since April when we first came out here and was looking with all the new businesses and businesses coming up here from Costco's and Amazon's, there's been anywhere between a 20 to 40% increase in real estate out here. So I've been on the market looking for either land opportunities anywhere between five to 20 acres where I can build up. Mm. If I can get land opportunity, I'll take an acre out, build my own house, and then I'll subdivide the other 19 acres to be able to put 19 other houses in and use that as a passive income with what I can then sell that house and look into a bigger market. I'm also looking at a bigger home up here that's got 10 acres that's uh, been a house I've been eyeballing for about eight months that I might be uh, pulling the trigger on. Beautiful brick home. Beautiful, beautiful home that if I pull the trigger on that, it's going to be a forever halfway point for my other property. Is What are your thoughts on the brick homes down here? I mean, I've grown to really appreciate the, the Alabama, the, the Arkansas, the Georgia brick home. What have your thoughts been on that? I've always been... From Alabama, I'm always favored the brick homes. Uh, so like, is Anita. Yes, I know Anita, myself, Rolanda, all of us oh, yeah. are from Alabama. So I will forever always favor the bricks. I love the brick. I love the architecture. I love the stonework and just the stability and the sturdiness of the homes. And they, they're just, it's beautiful art. So last night with the hurricanes, man, the one thing I could think about is, hey, I, I'm happy that I'm in a brick home right now. I don't know. How, how great it would stand it. What's your take on tornadoes and brick homes? This is where you want to be. What does that situation look like from your point of view? Well, here's where the Floridian side of me comes out. I'd rather be in a hurricane back home than deal with tornadoes that I can't Same. see up here. Absolutely. But if I got to deal with a tornado, I'd rather be in a brick home or one that has a basement because uh, that was definitely an insight of excitement that I wouldn't anticipate last night. Why was this home not built with a basement? This is, this is Arkansas. This home right here has no basement built in. I don't understand that. That's actually a very good question. I was going to ask you about that, about this property, because it's a gorgeous home. But depending on where you are to the waterline, that's the only other hindrance. That Pretty much every home up here comes with a basement. Unless you live on the level where the water is, and then they can't build substructures under your home. So one of the things I mentioned to Quasi probably two months back when we had a incoming tornado alarm, I'm like, how does the how do these homes in this neighborhood not have a basement? What what is the what am I supposed to do in this situation with no basement? So I was surprised that modern homes being built in Arkansas do not come with small little basements with a trap door that I can quickly go down into. One thing that I've looked at at one of the houses I was looking at up here, they actually had a fear room in the garage that they had installed after they had their house built, which literally what you said, it has the trap door. It sits about five feet down. You go into there and you close the door and it locks in for making a substitute to having a basement. So I'm noticing a lot of the new contracts and uh, constructions that are around here, 
they're now making that as an option for those that don't have basements. Smart move. I like it. I'm actually curious what the cost would be on that right there. And Jeremy, last time you came on, man, we talked about Wyoming, your property out there, man. Something that got my attention. Wyoming, it's a, it's a state with a population that is very, very light, man. What, what do you have going on out there in Wyoming, man? What's your recommendations to people that might want to ranch or are thinking about that huge state of Wyoming out there? Wyoming's one of those states, Wyoming, Minnesota, South Dakota, mm. North Dakota. If you're looking for land, you're looking for a comfortable retirement place or a property that you can build up on, build time up, have family with, highly, highly recommend it. It's one of the few states left other than like shooting up to Alaska. Yeah. Um, when you can get out. Maine. To, yeah, the Great Plains, yeah. like any area like that. Real estate market's phenomenal. You get in there, you can buy you a couple hundred acres. You can even have it set up as a ranch. You can do it as where you're. You're leasing it, subleasing it to your neighbors, and they can have their cattle or their mm. buffalo come out and graze on your land. Uh, you can make a great passive income with it. It's just I highly mm. recommend in this day and age. What uh, What are the summers like in Wyoming? Uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, it's just north enough to where it doesn't get hot. It's like, always one of my questions. What yeah. are the summers like? Yeah. What are you doing in the summertime then? It's not hot. It's not like living in Arizona. But yeah. When it gets cold and that snow hits, you do want to head the other way. I learned about snow embankments for cattle when I was in Wyoming because I was yeah. like, why do they have shutters on the side of the road? And they're like, oh, when the snowstorms hit, the cattle get up against the wall and it protects it for up to 10, 12 feel of snow. And I'm like, learned something new. Did not know that. So do people have pools in Wyoming for summertime? Oh, yeah. you got pools. A lot of people have private lakes. Um, that's the other thing you can private lakes. You have neighbors that have runways in their own airports on their property where they fly in and out on their planes or come in and go on their helicopters. Like it's a, if you want privacy in your own place, yeah, go out set, that way. Yeah. You set routes. What? Amelia Island, man, real estate market skyrocketing, man, Florida, North of Jacksonville, man. What, what are your thoughts on that area right now? I, I, to this day, I still get offers to sell, but I, I'm not selling. I'm going to have a Florida home. Always and forever. Yeah, I got my two boys graduating this year. My daughter graduated last year, so if we end up locking in something up here. I have my two youngins up here with me. I leave the house down there for my older three to go to college while they go to school to help to get them set up and get them right with life. And uh, then when it starts snowing up here, I'll be a snowbird and head back down south. Dude, I, I miss that market so much. I spent today going to our town center here in Little Rock, Arkansas. I went up towards North Little Rock to do clothes shopping in one of the malls up there and just could not find what I was looking for. Yeah. Like, it's just... Yeah, the limitation here, uh, it's a gorgeous, it's naturally a gorgeous state. Mm -hmm. If you're outdoors and you're just exploring, it's phenomenal. Great outdoor state. But it's definitely got that mentality. It's uh, set back in time a little bit. You got about a 10 to 15 year buffer before it catches up. You know, everything closed on Sunday, closed at 5 o'clock. Yeah, no Open alcohol on Sundays. No alcohol on Sundays. It's very uh, very where everybody was 20 years ago. Yeah, I couldn't find anything that I was looking for today, man. I only went out for like six hours, but I could not find what I was looking for. And if I was in Jacksonville in the St. John's Town Center, <laughs> I would be locking certain things up. Going down to St. Augustine, Florida, I would be locking stuff up. Did, did you ever think about buying property in St. Augustine, Florida? Actually, I looked. St. Augustine is beautiful, but you can't be actually in, in St. Augustine. My son's actually looking at a college at Flagler down there in St. Augustine, and it's beautiful. But if you want to live in St. Augustine next to the college, 
you're going to end up paying two to three times what you would on the outskirts. So a place like St. Augustine, unless you're going to do an Airbnb and do something where you sublease it out, you want to live a little bit further inland to where you're, you only got a short drive to St. Augustine. Now, Jeremy, in, in regards to investing and investments, um, man, I know you're a, a big fan of some of the um, companies such as uh, Rivian, Lucid, Lucid, Tesla. Talk to me about those, man. Uh, I've recently gotten a few of those. What, what are your thoughts about it? What are you expecting? What do you, what do you want to see moving forward from them? Well, at the end of the day, man, all the laws, all the world, all the regulations are coming down to where we're going to be using more electrical vehicles, getting away from the gas and the fossil fuels. So the best way to get in on the, the front end of it is if they're passing laws and they got everything going through Congress and the world's going to electric cars, this is the time to get into like the Teslas, the Rivians. Uh, what is it? Lordtown in Europe. There's a lot of electrical car companies. But then not only are you investing into those, what is it that powers those? People fail to realize right. the multiple of opportunities because they hear Tesla, oh, I'm going to invest in Tesla. Well, what powers Tesla? Oh, wait, you need electricity. Mm -hmm. So why not invest in electricity? We don't currently have the infrastructure to power all the electric cars for everybody around the world. So obviously, we're going to have to build that infrastructure. We're going to have to produce and perform and make that power supply. Then you got to look at the parts that are in the car, the lithium batteries. You got to look at the rubber for the tires. You got to look at the hoses. All those different components is money that can be made if you jump in now on the investments and what it costs and what it takes to actually build the vehicles and power the vehicles. That's like when, when LTE, when 4G, 5G were coming around. You were specifically talking to me about certain types of investments to go towards there, certain types of stocks to go towards there because as we go towards 5G, you were saying what and what would happen during those time frames. Well, with us going into 5G, in order to do the 5G, you have to have phone towers. In order to have phone towers, you have to have contracts from the different companies that are gonna sublease the tower. So people look at real estate as buying acreage and buying homes, but if you look at the market from drones to uh, the 5G networks, the satellite services, everything that comes like that, you're starting to see more tires populate and pop up on people's properties or on side of mountains. Not only does the tire populate, but then you can have up to 10, 15 different companies with their different cell service, drone service, satellite feeds coming onto that tower. And if you get into that platform or get in that market base, you can invest in that as it's getting larger and it's growing, as y'all noticed over the last couple of years, cell phone coverage that used to not have in Little Rock or middle of Georgia, we now have coverage everywhere. That is due to the satellites, that's due to the towers, and that's due to the real estate of the towers when you can invest in them. No, that was gonna be one of my questions. Is like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk are very big on the, the future of satellites providing Wi-Fi and um, cell phone reception. What What is going on with that, man? Are they just gonna be beaming down Wi-Fi? Do you, how does that actually function and work? Well, that's the thing people don't realize with all these different space programs. It's not just a space race to get into space. It's also a space race to shoot satellites into the orbit. Those satellites have components. Mm. And with those components, it's raw material. And if you invest in those raw materials and we're building more satellites and we're sending more into the space, that is more investment opportunities because you have replacement parts, you have manufacturing costs, you have employees. This is why people need to look and step back at the bigger overall picture. If we start building the space 
uh, what were they calling it up there? The the space shuttles and stuff where you were going to have a place to stay in space. Yeah. You're going to have to have the materials to build that. You're going to have to create and build a manufacturing complex that's going to be able to build it like NASA builds their their infrastructure for their spaceships and satellites. And we are truly on the infrastructure of the next big thing that's going to hit in the next 50 to 100 years. It's so confusing to me. I don't know. Is socialism the future? Is capitalism the future? What is the future? That's that's the forever question right now. Everybody's on the fence of worrying about the cost of fuel, worrying about socialism, worried about capitalism, worried about anything. So much everything. worry. It's, it's we're Inevitable in a, worry almost, we're in, right? We're in, we're in a fear state right now, man. And that's, that's not a good place to be in. But as long as you're prepared, you take care of what you got to take care of. If we go into a recession, if we have prices spiking up, you know, just make sure you're ahead of the curve. That's why I read books on stoicism, be, being more stoic. Um, John Gibson, been on the podcast before, man, uh, talked a lot about being stoic and stoicism and the importance of that, man. I read that book over there every day moving forward. And as soon as I'm done with that book, I'm going to continue reading other types of stoic book. Are you familiar with that at all? or uh, You mentioned something about it, and I, I, I'm going to get a copy of that book. I was finishing a couple other books myself. Um, what have you been reading recently? That one that I've been getting into since we've been up here in Little Rock, there's a lot of really good survival guides that oh, not like only that. are survival books, but it's mental preparedness and it's mental mm. awareness of your surroundings and I like that. how to make cognitive decisions and not be reactive. And if you're reactive, you can make the wrong decision. But if you stop and think and actually realize your situation at hand and how you could change the outcome of it, you can apply that to your everyday life. And that's one thing that's also made me successful with Amazon is a lot of people are very reactive and then they make the wrong decision and then they repeat and make another wrong decision. If, if you would have stepped back, waited five minutes, wrote it out and planned it properly, you can avoid it an extra couple hours of work. Does it deal with being proactive and how you can be more proactive? Oh yes, a hundred percent. It's that mindset of know the plan, know the plan. Mm. And, uh, if you know a plan and you're willing to deviate from it to provide the same outcome, that's all it takes. And that's why I said being able to be, it's weird to put it in that context, but being a survivor at Amazon, it's yeah. like, we don't go by years at Amazon. This is our fifth peak, like we're five peaks deep. And so, dude, I've learned more in Amazon and developed more in Amazon in six years than my six years with the military. It's crazy, but it's just the truth. And the plethora of people that come and go from Amazon and the new the new information, new technology, that's one of the perks of being able to save so much technology. It's you're you're so light much. years ahead and then you have competitors reaching out to you and then they're like, We want you to come work for us, but they're so dated and it's yeah. like you know the turnaround. People will leave and test the waters, but then they're back in what six months. Like, oh yeah. no, they're so old school and they don't know this. And that's what the the other lore is. It's just the newness of Amazon. Well, Jeremy, man, much appreciated having you back on. Always good to hear you share a wealth of information from a, a man of many trades and many travels. Um, you will be welcome back on very soon. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me.